Salutations, and welcome to the fourth episode of Miserable Artists. My name is Kevin Lasimosa, and I'm an actor and singer based in New York. For this episode, I bring on Paul Gabianelli, who is a friend and a screenwriter. We give hot takes on our alma mater, our pet peeves when it comes to writing, and not losing yourself as an artist. If you enjoy this episode and my podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review. So with all that being said, let's get started. Hello, 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 Paul. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm just making it, you know, one day at a time through yeah. these, uh, these horrible quarantine days. Yeah. Speaking of quarantine, how are you coping in the midst of the pandemic and all of this craziness? Uh, honestly, it's like, I feel like it feels like as the further we get into this, it's one day at a time. Yeah, that's the only way you can really process anything, really, especially yeah. nowadays. Absolutely, I've been um, I've been going back home to Jersey to visit my parents every now and again, and trying my best to, you know, get out of my apartment like safely as possible. But it's uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard for yeah, everybody. yeah. Well, that's good that you're visiting your parents. Um, and so uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, yeah. So I always start my episodes this way, you know, how I know my interviewees. So do you actually remember the first time we met or your first impression of me? So this is the question I was most afraid about. Uh, <laughs> okay, well. I, I do vaguely remember, like, we did meet at Pace. Uh, we okay. took a couple of communications courses together. And I did yeah interact with you and like we mm-hmm. chatted and you know we're very cordial but I can't say that there was like a specific instance where I was like oh we like met and got like formally acquainted right until our senior year yes now I was the reason I said I was afraid of this question is I had a feeling you were gonna give me an answer earlier than that oh no 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 I mean yeah so we had a lot of lectures together. I remember definitely yeah. seeing you around um, and definitely seeing you in class. But I mean, I would agree that we really didn't meet until our senior year at Pace University. Yeah, definitely. And and it, for what it's worth, it was like kind of the same thing where like I could like recognize you and I knew you. But yeah. Like, we didn't really get to like know each other. So there was that. Yes. And do you remember, do you remember what your first impression of me was? Um, how honest do you want me to be? I mean, you can be as honest as you want. <laughs> I was like, this guy's like pretty funny, but like real gay. But that's yeah. cool, you know? That, yeah, that's pretty accurate. That's a <laughs> lot of people. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty in line with I don't, what... I don't, you know what you I mean? I don't mean that in like a... Oh, no, no. I mean, I don't way. find it's that offensive like... whatsoever. I oh, mean, yeah. I would be, I would be more offended if you said like, yeah, really straight. You know what I mean? Because that's... <laughs> Like that's just really and that's really uncalled for and really offensive. So I feel honored. I would say, which is of course what you what you thought of me. So I thought that you were very studious and a little nerdy because I didn't I don't know, I didn't really know you that well. And that was just kind of my first impression was that you seemed like the type of person that like did really well in school and uh I don't know. That was kind of my first impression. I mean, I'll take it. Like, Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But anyways, uh, do you remember? So we had writing for television together yes. at Pace. Yes. Um, do you remember that teacher's name? I don't remember. Yes, it was uh, Professor Danziger. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Did you enjoy the class? You know, it's it's funny because, like, my um, my girlfriend, who also graduated from Pace, like, took that class as well, and a couple other friends of mine took it as well. Yeah. And I feel like everybody has a different opinion of not just the class, but this professor. Mm-hmm. Because his, his approach was so, you know you do what you want and I will help you. Which, yeah. Yeah, which for me, I, I've never actually really liked that approach. I, I much preferred somebody to actually instruct me. And mm-hmm. then, you know, further down the line, when, when I actually do develop something in personal, personal, excuse me, then they would assist. So my biggest problem with that professor was that he was kind of hands-off for for too long basically like he i I feel like the guy came in to like actually aid students until you know until until like a script was already completed which like you know for god's sakes if you're gonna write like 45 pages i I would i would hope for some oversight earlier no yeah i mean kind of my sentiments pretty much echo yours where there was a lack of structure and I don't even really remember him learning or I don't remember him really teaching anything. Yeah. I feel like, you know, and I was really excited to take the class because I was like, oh, okay, you know, we're going to learn about the like what it's like writing in a writer's room and yeah. um, like networks and like pitching and different things like that. But I feel like majority of the class was just me kind of learning things on my own and just kind of picking things up. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a very independent learning experience, if you will. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to describe it. It's It, it was very, um, he gave a lot of like instances of very specific types of like writing styles and, you know, show structures and things like that. But but on the whole, yeah, it was kind of a, you do what you think is right and then we'll go from there type of yes. learning environment. Yeah. Yeah. To, like I said before, it's that's not my cup of tea at all. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And also, there are these, like, three annoying girls that sat at the front of the class. God, I could com- still smell one of them. <laughs> literally completely obnoxious. I hate all of I hated all of them, really. And I was just kind of like, I didn't understand why the professor, like, liked them so much and how, like, he continued to perpetuate, like, their obnoxious behavior. Well, um, it- you know, it's funny, you kind of bring that up, because, like, and, and I know, like, it with us, too, I know it's, like, funny how, like, we'll randomly always, like, come back to this. As yeah, it's very topic, true. Because like, it's just so, like, shrill and annoying. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but um, it's funny, because I was actually thinking about it when, because you sent me a prep sheet with a couple of, like, things to think about for, like, our conversation. Yeah. And that got me thinking about the um, the culture at Pace University. Oh, yeah. Please share your insights. Yeah, because I was a communication student at first, and then halfway through my freshman year, I decided to dual major in film production. 
Right. And, you know, the communications department, I actually, I look back on pretty fondly on the whole, like, yeah, a lot of our professors were like pretty good people. Some, some, you get some good and some bad, like, like anywhere else, but Mm -hmm. you know, on the whole, they were pretty good people. Yeah. And And the student body, generally speaking, was, you know, fairly studious and, you know, okay. Like, I'm not going to say it was a purely academic environment. You know? Oh, no, absolutely not. Especially in New York. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If anything, people were more focused on like, okay, like, how quickly can I get an internship or get a job somewhere in the field to supplement what I'm doing at school? Which yeah. is like, totally valid. But but admittedly, like, it doesn't really, in my opinion, it doesn't really create a good, like, learning environment. Yeah. Very, like, an environment where you're more, you're supplementing the application of work. And I, I don't know. To me, in retrospect, that was not very constructive. Yeah. But um, in regards to, like, the culture at Pace, and this kind of goes a little bit towards, like, the film department, but, like, in general, it kind of goes towards, like, the the other uh, schools in the university we were sharing space with, which included, you know, the business school, um, the IT uh, school, and then, of course, uh, the performing arts school. Uh-huh. And, like, I don't know. I I don't know if this is too hot of a take. <laughs> but, no, um, share it. I mean, the people want to know. It's very clicky. Like, but yeah. it's also very clicky in the sense that, if you're not a hundred percent on their side, they just kind of they look completely over you. You you get completely eclipsed by like the the image of like these certain departments, I guess. Yes. And it's yeah. it's it's so weird walking in there as a freshman, like trying to like make friends with people. Yeah. And then like you learn somebody, it's like, oh, I mean I like PPA and immediately after that they just become like a very closed off, clicky like almost tribal person and it's like I that, yeah. that is one thing about pace I do not miss. And you know what's so funny about like it's so funny that you bring up click culture because at my last um college before I transferred to Pace University, I completely felt the same way where all of the majors kind of huddled up together and they were just kind of like a a coven, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it was that pretty much followed at Pace University as well, where like, you know, like everybody that was in their perspective school or major, they pretty much just always hung out together, which I thought was like very strange and very weird. Um, Because I would imagine like you spend so much time with these people. Like, why do you, I don't know. Like, it was just really weird to me. Um, And I think that might be because going to school in New York, like, maybe that might be the reason why. Um, And I think they stress the importance of networking and, like, all of that important stuff. But I feel like if I went to a traditional, you know, university like Rutgers or um, Yale or whatever, I feel like it wouldn't really have been the same. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's just a New York thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something indicative to a city New York school where, like, you're so, you're in such close proximity to the rest of the student body that, like, naturally, 
you will form those kind of clicks. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's to be unexpected, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I only have like pretty limited experience, like visiting and hanging out at like more conventional uh, colleges. And there it kind of seems similar, you know, where it's like, as time goes on, you just develop your group of friends, you develop your people that, you know, you would feed off of for either creative or professional um, um, inspiration. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's a pretty natural thing to happen. Yeah. The only thing I would say that, like, in regards to pace was, um, I guess, a little disappointing in retrospect is that, you know, I'll give you a perfect example is I, I have a group of friends that went to uh, Rowan University, which is in uh, southern New Jersey. Yeah. And they all joined uh, an auto club because they were all, um, you know, mechanical engineers mm-hmm. and they love, they adore cars, like cars are their life. And they ended up buying a big house together where it was like these, I think it was up to like 10 guys that were just like, you know, hanging out and they're all good friends. They're still friends to this day. And I, I was buddies with a lot of them. Yeah. And like the, you could like just feel it walking into their home, like the amount of like motivation these guys had to, you know buy a buy a like really old beat up car and like fix it and you know modify it and do everything they wanted to do and a lot of them right now do work in like an industry where they are acting as a mechanical engineer Uh and I think what's really beautiful about that is to me that's what I was hoping for from my college experience was to feed off of and kind of like have a you know, kind of have a feedback loop between other people of just yeah. motivation and inspiration for what I wanted to do. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is like when it came to pace is like, I was able to find like a select, select few people where I could do that with. Yeah. But I was really hoping for a much more broad and, you know, like, I don't want to sound cruel, but I was hoping for more of a community as opposed to some very tight friendships you know yeah no I mean I completely agree with that I think I personally I don't know if this is just a New York thing but for the most part I didn't really like the population of the student body and this doesn't just go for pace I this went for Marymount as well where I feel like I was only really close to a very select few people Um, And this could also just be my personality. I don't really know. But I just found that a lot of the student body, and this has nothing against Pace as a school. I think it's just kind of like the overwhelming population of students were just very obnoxious. And, uh, you know, they had this like air about them where they like would broadcast their self-importance by talking about how busy they were and how many internships they had and how many credits they were taking and, you know, what jobs they were interviewing for. And I just kind of felt like, okay, thanks for sharing, but, like, I didn't ask. You know what I mean? Like, I never... Like, why are you bringing that up? Like, that has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) You know, I definitely felt... Like, I, I actually, I agree with you, like, 99%, because I, I definitely, I'm, first of all, the kind of person who does enjoy their privacy, and, you know, even even in, like, high school and growing up as a kid, like, I, I never liked big crowds, I never liked the idea of being part of, like, a really, really big uh, group like that, mm-hmm. but that being, but that being said, like, I don't know, at pace, 
it definitely let's say it just made it it made it easy for me to not be friends with a lot of people right you were just like i'm going to disassociate (laughs) yeah i i i can't tell you how many times that would like come up where i was like getting to know somebody chatting with them it was all well and good and then immediately they're like oh well i'm so exhausted because i'm just got back from my second internship and i'm taking 18 credits and you know like my mother lives all the way out in long island and i just it takes her ever to get back and forth and and i'm just like i I know we all like to complain and I know we all like to flex at like how hard we're working and everything. Yeah. But like in the professional world, no one cares. Like, yeah. And especially in New York too. Oh yeah. I mean, nobody cares how many credits you're taking. Nobody, I mean, nobody really does that in real life. And I mean, I just never really understood like the purpose of doing that. um, Other than, you know, like placating your ego oh absolutely um but something that i did want to ask you about how did you feel about the film department at pace and how do you feel that department um i guess not not really prepped you but how do you feel that kind of cultivated uh, who you are just as a screenwriter well um i'm gonna i'll I'll be honest i'll i'm gonna front load this with um so I, I have pretty good things to say about the communications department and I have pretty good <laughs> things to say about like, seriously, I, I have fairly nice things to say about like the general, my general experience at Pace. Okay. How, however, <laughs> the film department at Pace, and I, I think I, I'm, I'm comfortable enough going on record about this. Like, I'm not going to get like canceled about this like 10 years down the line. I mean, um, honestly, no one's going to be listening, so it's fine. <laughs> you know what you never know kev like yeah <laughs> you, you'd be surprised who 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 listens in on things and then has a strong opinion but um well they'll get over it yeah i guess I'll, I'm, I'm just gonna come out and say it then is the uh the film and screen studies department at pace university is um uh awful <laughs> <laughs> there it is yeah it's uh yeah see i i don't know i i have a bit of a sailor mouth at times and i'm trying to uh make sure I don't say anything that would get you uh, have to use a censor or anything. Yeah. I appreciate it because all of my episodes are always deemed clean. Um, But it's so funny you say that because everyone I ask about, like that was in the film department, they all have different perspectives. So I do kind of want to ask you, what was it about that department or that major that, you know, elicited you, Oh my God, I cannot speak. Uh, What about (laughs) that major or that department, you know, cultivated those opinions? You know, it's, it's kind of a, that's kind of a loaded question because in a way, like it's a lot of things. Yeah. You know, I guess, I guess the most, the most obvious thing that I should talk about, and I guess this would go to anybody who's, this is important for anybody who's listening, who would be considering not just pursuing like an educational career in like film, but also is going to school in New York or cares at all about their um, artistic development. Yeah. Is that the film department at Pace is, I I use the term film and screen studies and I feel like the studies part should be like underlined and, you know, it, it should be like big and bold. Yes. Because unless you, unless you were, a very 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 fortunate and 
you know, I don't want to use the word privileged, but like you had the opportunity outside of school to be producing um, short films or anything really on your own. It, you know what? Now that I think about it, it's like there really was no support for students to make their own films unless they did it completely on their own. Wow. In which case Pace loved, well, I shouldn't say Pace, but like, you know, the film department loved to take credit for it. Oh um, my God, of course. <laughs> yeah. There, there were, I could think of, I don't, I don't want to name names like on here, but I can think of at least three students I know personally who worked their, their butts off to like produce something very personal and very like, you know, moving in one way or another, or at the very least, just very constructive for their filmmaking careers. Yeah. And they had to jump through so many hoops with just the school. Wow. To to screen it, to get things done, to shoot on location, to to use equipment. Don't even get me started. And like, there is no synergy at pace between um, departments either. Wow. And by that, like, this kind of refers back to you know, certain individuals that we found a little obnoxious in like mm -hmm. the performing arts uh, department was you would get students pretty frequently who are like begging for like, you know, oh, I would love to do this for like my reel or, oh, I would love to do this for, you know, just some like exposure to like put on, you know, like my website or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, a, a student, uh, a film student would come along and be like, oh, I want to shoot this like music video. Like, would you be interested in like starring in it? Yeah, And, you know, you, you would get actors who would be interested, but then you would also get a lot of pushback from the department because it was something through the Pace Film Department. Wow. There, there was just no synergy whatsoever between the two, and it just created so much, like... It, it was, like, it was so much of a hurdle to get anything produced there. Yeah. That, and listen, like right now I, I work in television and like we pretty frequently have to deal with a lot of like, you know, unions and bylaws and licensing and, you know, restrictions on where you can and can't film, uh, certain like restrictions for how crews like can operate. But I, feel like like, but I feel like that's different because I feel like in an environment, in an educational environment, you know, that's different because that's your job and, you know, you know that those things come with it. But I feel like in an educational environment, there should be some kind of support, you know, like I just feel like students shouldn't have to jump through so many hoops just to film something on site or, you know, like actors from PPA shouldn't be getting pushback because I don't know, like, and then it's funny because when you talk about it and how, you know, there's pushback from the top maybe that's why the clicky culture is kind of cultivated at the school because i mean maybe it m must be like people from different departments kind of like um perpetuating that kind of culture you know oh i mean I, you know now that you say it like that actually makes a lot of sense because like because the analogy i was going to use was that like you know in the professional world like it is pretty difficult to get stuff like that done especially in new york but yeah, like, it was, in my experience, like almost more pace as a university and like, you know, the film department made it almost like more difficult to do that than in a professional setting. Wow. It's, I yeah, to no exaggeration, like, I mean, I, I can go on about like examples I've seen like personally where like, you know, students wanted to film something on location somewhere and they just needed like a permit. And like the process is annoying and 
honestly a little overcomplicated. Yeah. But like that process was so much simpler than the kind of things that like Pace University would put you through just to like borrow equipment for God's sake. Like, yeah. Really. Yeah. I almost lost an inter- I almost lost an internship once because they wouldn't let me take out some like very simple film equipment like a camera and a microphone. <gasps> oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, I, yeah, I worked for a while. I was an intern at um it was called Downtown Magazine in like Lower Manhattan. Yeah. And I was one of their um videographers like as an intern. Yeah. And you know, we did a lot of like on location like oh, check out this bar, check out this restaurant, check out this event going on. And it was a pretty, like, I think it was a very constructive internship because it taught me how to, like, produce things on my own very quickly. Yeah. But the thing is, is, like, I was always, I was constantly having to borrow film equipment from Pace. Right. And about halfway through this internship, mind you, maybe, like, it was was a spring thing. So if I started in, like, February or March, then it probably was maybe in, like, April or something. And I was done in June. Yeah. Um, I would go to, you know, the film department where they had all the equipment like locked up and everything. Mm-hmm. And I would try to sign it out. And then it, it just hit a point where they were like, oh, so you're not technically enrolled in a class where you can take this out. So we can't let you. And I'm like, but I'm taking an internship like for credit. Like it's on my transcript. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but it's not a film related thing. Therefore, you cannot. And I actually had to get and this is actually where I'm going to start singing praises of the communications department yeah is in particular my one of my favorite professors i ever had there was uh was dr klein oh Um, my god Uh, paul stop me and alexis were talking about him during our episode and we were just going on and on and on about how amazing of a professor he is truly easily one of the best professors i had at pace such a like such an intelligent and nice guy and absolutely I, I went to him because at the time I was taking, I want to say it was like Com 102. No, no, no. I think it was, you know, I don't remember specifically what class it was. I, I took at least three courses with him. But um, Oh, same, same. I, I, yeah, I went to him because I knew he was a pretty trustworthy guy. And he was actually my, um, not sponsor, what is it called when they, uh, oh, my advisor for uh, the internship. Oh and my I God, said, he was mine too. Uh, that's oh so God. crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we just like knew he was like, he was a reliable guy, you know? No, he was the one, like the goat of Pace University. And just, he honestly made uh, like a lot of my classes and just the department so much more enjoyable and just so much, it just made it so much easier. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But, but what I was saying was I went to him and I said like, Hey, they're not letting me take out equipment and like, I, I need this for my internship. Like, otherwise I literally can't do anything. And he went there personally. He brought like a letter and everything. And he's like, no, you have to let the kid take it out. Like, you know, you're, you're going to screw this all over. And like, literally, I was able to get my boss on the line too and be like, no, this is like, we don't have it. He said he was going to do it. This was all part of the agreement beforehand. And of course, the film department made me like jump through hoops just to take it all out. And I had to like do some funky thing on my transcript to like show that it was a film related thing. I don't know. Wow. I mean, yeah. that that is so crazy to me that, you know, like they didn't offer any kind of support and they really just made everything much more difficult. I mean, I do. I will say that the communications department really it really was an enjoyable experience. I mean, all of my professors, with the exception of 
a selects view were really great and I definitely learned a lot and um yeah I mean that's that's crazy but um I do want to move on to another question is uh was there a specific moment that you recall that you know made you want to go into screenwriting or just production in general okay you know it's I, I've actually really I'm excited to talk about this because I, again, like on your sheet, I looked at this and I was like, Ooh, I, I finally get to talk about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I would say that it started actually when I was in middle school and okay. I was, I think maybe I was like 11 years old, I want to say. And we had a small club and it was called the sound and lighting club. And we basically did all the sound lighting and kind of like stage crew work for the, um, the plays that the students would put on. Aww. It was, it was never, it was nothing glamorous. You know, I, th- I think my job at one point, like literally I like set up a little projector and I played like a PowerPoint presentation of like images that would go on like behind the play. But I mean, so, that's like a pretty big deal for an 11 year old. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Like at the time I was like, Oh, I'm really like helping out here. You know, that's so cute. And yeah. And then, um, and then in high school, we got to choose electives for, you know, just things we were interested in, like career wise that we could take classes on. And, you know, they had like art, they had uh, graphic design, they had uh, like some very basic like computer science stuff. And then one was television production. I, I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, that's like not even a class. That's like fun, you know? Right. Yeah. So like I took it and I took that class for all four years of high school. I ended up, you know, joining the uh, the television production club. I actually became president my senior year. Okay, like, work. No, I listen, it was like, I, I have been so in love with television production and just production in general since That's I was amazing. a child. And then, yeah, so I think it was pretty much my senior year when we started. That was when you were allowed to make your own like projects like on on your own you didn't need like a team of students you know you kind of got to like present your own thing write your own scripts right and yeah unfortunately like i i kind of hope to god these never see the light of day again Ah. but like (laughs) i was able to make a couple things actually i made one animation that was all stop motion and it was like a quick little comedy thing i think maybe it was like two minutes long yeah and then another one was it was actually a short like horror movie based on a you got to remember this was like 2012 2013 it was like based on slender man oh <laughs> yeah so at the time that was like oh that was like kind of a hot thing and it was like oh paul that's like so creative it's like so new yeah uh, now i find that to be like a little cringy but like admittedly you know at the time you know it like it really helped me to kind of fall in love with just the process of like producing and making creative work like that yeah, no, I mean, honestly, anytime the first time you ever attempt to do something, it's never really amazing. But I think what is amazing is just falling in love with the process, like you just said. And oh, absolutely. Um, I remember me and Alexis were talking about our first auditions, and it was funny because they both went horribly. Um, but we all kind of agreed that it was more about the process and just kind of falling in love with the art and I think that's probably one of the most important things that you take as a kid when you're just kind of learning about new things and you're just kind of starting to explore like new um avenues is that you just like 
fall in love with like your perspective craft and it's really an exciting moment especially the oh, first time and and i think you know it sounds a little corny to say like falling in love with it but i actually think that's a really good way to describe the feeling an artist should have with their craft yes because like it's not it's not work it's not dedication it's not you know it's not it's not something like rigorous to you it's it is rigorous but like it's 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 something that i don't know about you but like personally it's something that i feel like it will like never leave me yes it is something that like I, i i treasure deeply as like a thing that I can always default to as, you know, motivation to produce something to, to say like, Hey, this is, this is something like, it it was literally a labor of love, you know? Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it's so funny when you talk about um, never leaving you um, because I, I've actually never shared this on my show before, but um, I, auditioned my senior year of high school I auditioned for like every drama department in New York and I was rejected by every single drama school I auditioned for um and that was a really hard time for me and you know I figured okay well obviously I was rejected from every department this isn't really meant for me I'm supposed to be doing something else And then, you know, I came to New York, I came to Pace, and then I had an idea of what my career would look like after I graduated. Um, I was supposed to essentially be working in publicity in any way, shape, or form. And then I ended up taking an acting class my senior year at Pace, and I ended up falling in love with it all over again. And... uh, It's just, it's just one of those things where like you, it just never leaves you. Like no matter how hard you try or no matter how hard you try to come up with something else, it's just something so intrinsic that you can't ever just get away from. And Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just so, it's so intrinsically like linked to like who you are as a person that like you, you can't, you can't like deny it either. Yes. Yeah. It's. I don't know that I don't know what you would call it. I, I've heard a lot of people call it a lot of different things, but yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it's just I, I imagine it was like that feeling for you when you know you kind of got like your first or second rejection, and you were like, "But you know what? I'm going to keep doing it." And then by the yeah. time you like went to pace and took your acting classes, it was like, no, it had never gone away. It's just it it just felt delayed. Yes. And it's crazy because within my whole time at Pace, I wasn't even thinking about any of that. I was just so focused on, you know, my PR career. And then it, I ended up taking the class just to fill an elective. And uh, I mean, really, uh, you kind of like hit the nail on the head when you said it just never really left. Like it was always just kind of there. But I think I just needed some time to come back to it, I guess. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That That's the other thing, too, is, like, everybody goes at these things at their own pace, no pun intended. So like, <laughs> pace yeah. yourself, Paul. I know, pace yourself. You be a pace setter. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody goes at these things at their own pace. And, like, I think that that's something a lot of artists get very, like, frustrated. I know I, I see this with a lot of younger people. Like, my my brother, for instance, he's uh, wants to be a journalist. And he's 
working very hard to kind of like try to establish himself in the field. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I, I, I remember that feeling right after college where like, it's, it's really hard to find work and you're, you're struggling every day and you keep getting like, you know, denial after denial. But the thing is, is like, you know, it's not going to happen all at once. And and that's something I, like, I would really love to share. I would love to like share that with every single student of anything. Like yeah. just it, you're not, you're not guaranteed to have something happen immediately after college. It's not right. like a degree makes these things magically come true. Yeah. You know? it, it could take people years, even like a decade or so, but as long yeah. as you keep, as long as you keep at it and you keep like developing yourself yes it's it's like an inevitability yes i mean i wholeheartedly agree and i mean there are some people i guess this is more of like in the acting world there are some people that do book things like right after graduation and you know their career just blows up but i mean for a lot of people it takes a really really long time and it takes like you said years and uh, you know, I don't think it really has anything to do with your capability as an artist or your value as a person. I just think that, you know, it just takes time for some people. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it's like, it, it can be very demotivating. It really can be. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I think the problem is we hear so much about the success stories that you don't realize that it, it's always like one in a million. You know, right. I guess it's hyperbole, but it's it's one out of very many people. Yeah. So it's kind of, you kind of got to be real with yourself that it's like, you know what, that's, that's good for so-and-so who was able to either book that gig or get that produced or, or even just land that job or whatever. That's great for them. I'm not them. So yeah. That's and that's also a beautiful thing too, you know, where um, you are not them and you're only you and uh, your story is so much more interesting and so much more, um, uh, I don't really know what another word to describe it, but yeah, your story is what makes you special and you going on your own path is a lot more interesting than you just trying to follow into somebody else's and have, you know, your paths be the same thing. Because that's kind of like the beauty of being an artist is that there's no one way to get anywhere. Um, For some people, it's straightforward. For some people, it's roundabout. For some people, you have to go sideways and in and out. Like, that's just one of the beauties of kind of success is that, you know, there is no one way. And... uh, Everybody goes on different paths. Everybody has different road bumps. And uh, I think, yeah, like you're you're just you and you're going to be going on your own path. And it's not really about mimicking what you've heard or what you've seen. It's about creating something new. Yeah, abs- and, and I, I think kind of jumping off of that point too, I, I, I know we've, we've talked about this before personally, but like, something that I really stress to a lot of like, not just artists, but like anybody really who's trying to like pursue like their developing their profession or this, their passion or what have you. Yeah. Is you gotta like, you gotta be diverse, you know? Yeah. You can't just like, I, I say that, you know, one of my pursuits is like screenwriting, which it absolutely is. Yeah. But you know, I, I, 
I'm a producer. I'm a storyteller. I am somebody who, you know, studies art, studies film, studies writing. You know, there's there's a lot more to it than just writing on paper and developing that. Because, like, I don't know, for instance, um, not just during, uh, you know, the quarantine, but even before that, as, as a means of kind of, like, developing my storytelling skills, I actually started... If you're familiar with like tabletop role-playing games, kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I um, think you, me, and Camille were talking about it over Zoom. Yeah, we, we had a conversation about this yeah, really yeah. briefly. I, I started um, running a game of my own with a story of my own. And it's it was really interesting, like kind of like doing the storytelling process with this structure, which is, you know, you write down like a little paragraph at a time of just like how you expect the story to go uh-huh. and just little offshoots because, you know, in, in things like this, it's all role-playing and improving. So the players are coming up with different approaches to the story as you're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, for instance, I'll have like my players, it's like, okay, you guys are all walking down the street and a, um, you know, you would roll perception so like you're looking around you and then somebody says like hey i think that car is following us yeah so like every person role-playing as their character is going to have a different idea of what to do like because somebody will be like oh i want to run away and then another person will be like oh well i'm going to confront them and then a third person will be like all right but let's let's let them follow us and see what they want you know yeah you know what that reminds me of that reminds me of like the interactive netflix series where you can choose between like oh yeah like uh, action yeah, yeah, it's like kind of like the Bandersnatch thing, or like I think uh, didn't Kimmy Schmidt do that as well? Yeah, it they did actually. I think it was their final season. They did that. It was really cool. Yeah, I it's it's a lot of fun, and it's you know it's something I didn't expect. Like if you told me a year ago that this would be like a new way I would be developing like my skill set, I mm-hmm. I would not have believed you. I'd have been like, oh no, it's just fun. But like no, legitimately, I do feel like a better storyteller and a better I, I guess like wordsmith for lack of a better word. Yeah. Because I did this. Yeah. And then, of, and then of course, like, you know, always be reading, always be watching stuff, like always keep up to date with, you know, industry news because it's, it's all, it all is linked together. Yeah, completely. Um, and now that we're on the topic of, you know, cultivating your artistry, I do kind of want to know um, and talk about your, screenwriting a little bit who are some of your influences and where do you kind of draw inspiration when you know you are writing a script and what is your creative process like okay so i would say i i got inspired to start writing you know kind of at a younger age i want to say like at some point in high school and it honestly started you know this is a very like millennial thing mm-hmm. but it started because i would read a lot of like fan fictions on online oh my and, god <laughs> yeah i mean like i, I don't want to get into the details of what i was reading about and like, right but i mean i think that's so funny and just very millennial it, it is very millennial but the truth is is that like and it, it does sound silly it does like you know, because I'm, I'm sure 20, you know, somebody 20 years older than us would be like, well, you know, I was reading uh, Moby Dick by Herman Melville and his, you know, prose structure really inspired me to like, no, that's not how a millennial approaches right. these kind of things. You know? <laughs> right. And also like, 
You know what I mean? That's just that's just something like somebody from uh, what is it called? Generation A would even like like draw their inspiration from. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like for me, it, it started with that, and then I would go from there, and I was like writing like my own little stories about like honestly, like you know, video games I was playing or shows I was watching. Yeah. And then I would say once I got a little further into high school, the first uh, author that really spoke to me at the time was probably Brett Easton Ellis, who uh, you guys probably would know from writing American Psycho or Less Than Zero. Oh, okay. And, you know, I, I adore that book and that, like, movie. Yeah. And at the time, you know, like, being kind of like a a, a turbulent teenager with a lot, like, going through your head. Yeah. You know, it's, it seems very edgy and very cool. But, you know, in retrospect, like, I think the best way to describe uh, me kind of, like, consuming that media was that it was very inspirational and very foundational for what I considered to be, you know, for what I considered to be good. Yeah. And then um, from the, also in high school, I think like another book that I, I really loved was uh, Lord of the Flies. That was, oh, really, yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the first books that like got me like legitimately into reading like good literature, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was that. And then most recently, I would say, and I guess this kind of goes like towards like my, um, my current like personal project is um, the Wicked series, like the Wicked years. Oh, that's right. We've had, we've had many conversation about the Wicked, the Wicked world. Yeah. The the wizard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the author uh, of that series is Gregory uh, Maguire. And I think one thing that I really love about his writing style is that He'll go between like prose and legitimate storytelling to just sort of like these very like long passages of like reflection that him as an author, but also like characters will be having. Yeah. And I think that that is something that like really reflects in a lot of like what I do with like writing and with storytelling, because, you know, and and you know this from acting as well is that a character is somebody who wants something, but they're mm-hmm. also somebody that has opinions. Yes. You know? Yes. So. Yes, Paul. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's something. True. No, I'm very passionate about that because I feel like in a lot of shows and a lot of movies, and I just kind of feel like that's always something that's missing in a lot of characters is that they don't necessarily have any, like, opinions or ideas. I feel like they're kind of just going through the motions of the plot and yeah. I'm just like, no, like, I. what is your opinion on this? Like, what is your outlook on life? Like, I'm waiting for your, you know, your personality and your character to be fleshed out. And I find it so infuriating all the time. Oh, yeah. My, my personal favorite is when, like, you, you watch a, a TV show and a character, like, something really incredible happens. It's like, you know, plot changing thing. Yeah. And there are characters that just do not seem to have an opinion on it. Like they're just right. like basically unaffected by the events, and it's right. like, are you sure? Like, the entire world state has changed because of said events, you know? Yes. Which which kind of brings me to like my absolute most like recent um, piece of inspiration, and this is actually kind of what started. I, I know we've talked about this before, but this is what started me writing uh, my. It's a it's a screenplay like ideally for a television show about. Yeah. It's an adaptation of the wicked uh, the wicked years. And it was because I was watching the season finale of Game of Thrones. Oh my god, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna just say it. 
And I just got so mad. I was just like so angry. Right. That, like a lot of people this- were very angry with how it ended. I mean, I don't watch it and nor did I ever watch it, but I mean, I saw the outrage on Twitter and there were petitions and the fans were very, very upset. It's just like, it was It was a clear act of, you know, greed and, you know, selfishness by the producers to just sort of like finish it up really quickly because they had like other things to get onto. But like, I don't, I don't want to get too into that. But like, <laughs> as I was, as I was finishing watching the show, I remember just being so frustrated with it. And then I just said, like, this is ridiculous. Like, I could do better than that, you know? And yeah. I, I was like, what? I was watching it with like my roommates and my girlfriend. And I remember she was like, well, why don't you? Like, why don't you come up with something better? And I was like, maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how it all began. Yeah, that's really how it all began was I was like, I, I legitimately probably could do better. And like, you know, right now, writing an entire season of a TV show takes a long, a long time. Yeah. So, like, I'm kind of at a point right now where I have, like, basically one full episode and then some finished. But I have a whole treatment done and, like, I am I have a roadmap of work. So, I'm, I'm not in any, like, I'm not in any rush to finish it either. It's just, like, a right. personal project. Yeah. But, like, that being said, it's uh, it's certainly the thing right now that occupies my, uh, my artistic brain. No, I mean, that's amazing. Um, so if any of the streaming services are listening, HBO, Netflix, Hulu, <laughs> Paul has a script and a treatment ready for you to be pitched. So please yeah. contact him immediately so that Paul can give me a job as an actor. Yeah. The starting price is $5. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so it's funny that you say like you, the whole birth of, you know, your, um, script that you're writing came out of frustration and i think that's actually what elicits a lot of um new creative ideas i mean the whole reason i started this whole podcast and this whole thing was just because mostly out of frustration just you know i was so tired of like you know just not getting auditions and just being frustrated with the industry and you know, I mean, me and Alexis and, um, like, other people as well on the show have talked about the Hollywood system as a whole and how it just doesn't really benefit a lot of people. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of times when people just get really frustrated, they end up creating something, like, amazing. Um, and Reese Witherspoon is one of them where, you know, she was like, I think what happened was she read what she calls the worst script of her life. And she was so tired of the misogyny and how women were treated in the industry and how they're portrayed in the um, media. And so she literally was just like, she started her own production company and she created big little lies. And I mean, she yeah, a yeah. whole empire now. No, yeah, she's she's really rock and rolling too. Didn't she like um, co-produce um, Little Fires Everywhere as well? No, yeah, she she yeah she co-produced Little Fires Everywhere. She co-produced Big Little Lies, and she has an um, Apple TV show with Jennifer Aniston, and like it made headlines because 
she made a lot of money because she can make a lot of money because she's the boss. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, I think that's like, you bring up a really important point too about um, kind of acknowledging like who you are and like your place in the creative world. Yeah. Like, you know, someone like Reese Witherspoon, like she definitely has the, the resources to do something like that. Right. But in a way you can kind of tell she's like, she's using her powers for good, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Where it's like providing an outlet for like, you know, female voices and like, you know, generally speaking, like underheard voices like in the industry. Yeah. And that I think is like really, really respectable. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, like someone like yourself, Kevin, who like started this podcast where you're kind of uh, platforming like young new creators in New York. I think that that's really a fantastic idea because on top of the fact that it helps people to, you know, kind of get their own uh, minds going about what they're doing. It, it really kind of showcases like how much you care about not just the industry, not just the craft, but like your creative development, you know? Yeah. And like, ultimately I feel like it's going to be it beneficial, beneficial to say the least to anybody who would take part in it, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's Aww, Paul, thank you. No, I'm being serious. You know, it's like, he, clearly you care about these kind of things and you know that that goes underappreciated a lot in in our very doggy dog world yeah i mean that's yeah that's pretty much yeah that pretty much encapsulates it all i mean it's just bred out of frustration and just feeling like you know like i have i had all of these um frustrated feelings and emotions and i really just wanted to express it on a platform and it also just kind of goes back to what you said earlier is just having different skill sets and using everything that you have and trying new things that you know you never really would have tried um i mean if you would have had told me like years ago that you're gonna start a podcast where you're gonna interview all your artist friends and talk about how miserable their experiences are I would have been like you're <laughs> funny um oh. <laughs> but because of this process um because I did try something new I'm learning so much in such little time I'm learning about distribution I'm learning about marketing I'm learning about um, just all of these new things. And I think, Oh my God. Yeah. I really do want to stress to everyone who's listening. Um, especially if you're an artist, just try something new because the skill sets that you will acquire, I mean, it really is amazing. Um, it, yeah, it's really hard to, to kind of not sound like, you know, the, the businessman at like a, a big corporate meeting where he's like, you got to try new things. You got to diversify your portfolio. Right. But like the truth of the matter is, is that there is like no better resource for your development than to just try something new. Yeah. And like it, it sounds very simple and very like silly, but even even something as simple as like reading, like going to a bookstore and like buying and reading a book that you that you have no interest in yeah or like watching a tv show or a movie or playing a game or whatever that you would think you'd have no interest in it's it really is important to to be diverse and expand your your artistic mindset because it'll it'll like do wonders for like your just outlook and your your development yeah and honestly there's really just no excuse because i mean the amount of um resources on the internet 
um, you have the opportunity to just publish your work. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also I think that if you, the sooner you take ownership of your work now, the easier it'll get for you to navigate through the industry because then you can establish some kind of, whether it be like a fan base or you have an established idea and, oh, yeah. you know, nobody can tell you, oh, well, I think that you should do this. And it's like, well, no, I'm not going to do that because what I do now is working. So, you know what I mean? It gives you yeah. that credibility, um, and I just think it's, yeah, it's really important for people to create, um, their own work nowadays, especially those, particularly those who are marginalized and um, oh, a lot of the voices that just go unnoticed in the entertainment industry. You know, I think, I think you bring up a very important point about, um, the kinds of influences to, to listen to and not to listen to. Yeah. Because, like, and this kind of harkens back to our conversation about, like, the culture at Pace University. Yeah. Where it was very insular and very, you know, kind of, I don't want to say an echo chamber, but it, it definitely, at times, felt a little too clicky. Yeah. Where, you know, just because somebody is, like, a very, very good friend of yours or because they they seem to have your best interest at heart, you you really need to, like, kind of examine, like, if not just an individual, but like the advice they're giving you is really going to work for you. And I, I can't tell you, like, even in the professional world, like I, I come across this kind of thing, like almost every day where you're being kind of like fed advice or you're fed like guidance from people. And you say to yourself, like, well, that doesn't really sound like something I would do, or like, that's not how I want to you know, proceed with like either my career or whatever. Yeah. And, and I think you kind of need to listen to that voice in your head more that's saying, like, this isn't me. Yes. Oh, my God, Paul. Yes. I <laughs> completely agree. Oh, my God. I cannot speak. I completely agree. And you are preaching to the choir. And it is really important because, I mean, it it goes back to, you know that idea of when I was auditioning for every drama school I applied for and I got rejected, you know, and rejection and any kind of advice, it's one person's opinion. And, you know, one person's opinion doesn't dictate, you know, your um, success. It doesn't dictate, you know, your the path that you're going to embarge on. I mean, uh, there are going to be a lot of people who have a lot of opinions and um, there are a lot of people who feel like the industry isn't going to change and that it's always going to remain what it is. But, you know, this is the whole reason why I started it is to have a conversation about how, no, I don't want this industry to be the same. I want it to change. I want it to work, not just for straight, white, cisgender identifying people. I want it to work for people who are marginalized for people who have different identities and have different experiences. And, you know, you're right where you should listen to that voice in your head. That's telling you, you know, you don't have to listen to that person because I mean, like they only know what they know, like, right. They only know. Oh yeah. Yeah. They only know what they've experienced. So of course they're going to think, you know, whatever they think to be true. But honestly, like, what you know and how you feel, that's something that's way more um, 
it's way more powerful and you should always run with that especially if it's a gut feeling you know yeah definitely definitely and like it it, it's really frustrating to see that reflected in like the professional sphere of what you're you know what you're kind of like absorbing what you're watching what you're doing is there's just so much like homogeneity nowadays yeah people people complain about it constantly where it's like oh this this is the same thing as that or this is just x thing with y added and it's kind of because you don't get a lot of people that have like diversity of thought and it all gets very i I hate to reuse the same word but it really gets homogenized by like the hollywood system that we're in yeah it's it's very frustrating yeah i know like I i was listening to um another like podcast kind of recently and it brought up they these guys were talking about video games and they brought up a really interesting point which was you know you get very like um demystified with uh content like that nowadays yeah because everything everything is being sold to you as oh it's just this but with this right it's just oh this is it's just super mario brothers but with legend of zelda in it and it's like well i don't like that's fine but i i was hoping to experience something new i was hoping to hear like what somebody or something that hasn't had a chance to talk yet has to say. Yeah. And I couldn't have agreed more with it. You really, is that like, we, we really are in a situation right now where there's just so much homogeneity of thought that, you know, you just kind of get like suffocated by like the, the sameness of everything. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, like, I think that is a system that works before, but I think now people really want something new. They want to Absolutely. hear. They want to hear something they haven't heard before. They want to see something they haven't seen before. And yeah. uh, you know, I just like me and Alexis were talking about this on my second episode, and we discussed how you know the system, if it remains to be the same way it's always been, you know, you're not going to get new content. And you are just going to keep pumping out the same story over and over with the same actors over and over and over. And I think the key is you like Hollywood has to open the door, like completely, like open it wide because I mean, I don't really want to get too deep into it just because that's another episode for another time. But, you know, they have to deconstruct their system. They have to change the way they think and they have to change the way they run the business because a lot of the systems that's set in place, a lot of it is just, it consists of gatekeepers that oh yeah there's a lot of that yeah yeah that continues to keep people out and uphold the same people you know in the same positions and keep the same stories running in the same i mean uh i could just go on and on and on about this but it is something that i'm really passionate about and it's something that really frustrates me because you know the industry keeps complaining about how they don't know what to do and it's just like you have to dismantle the system completely and open the door because, you know, like, like the system only really works for a certain type of people. So. One thing that I think is really important that you've hit on and kind of harkens back to what I was saying about like, you know, developing yourself and like being true to yourself is that there is a lot of stress on not just young people, but also like, you know, graduates and people who are trying to make it in the industry to 
acquit to the system that's already out there. Oh my God. And Absolutely, Paul. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I it's I, I can't tell you how many times like I see it like myself, like just professionally, where it's like you get people who completely depersonalize themselves because they just they're like, well, I need this job. Well, I need to be accomplishing this. Well, I need to do that. And you know what? I'm not gonna lie. To some capacity, you do got to play the game. Yeah, you, you really. I, I don't. I don't think you know. It's a very fun. It's a very um, romantic idea to be like, no, I'm gonna do a completely re renegade option. Which you know what I would say, go for it. But the truth of the matter is, like, you got to play the game a little bit. Yeah. That being said, you do not. You should never. And I mean, like, this goes for everybody. Never sacrifice what makes you the person you are especially artistically because that is going to be the ultimate expression of yourself and if you cannot properly express yourself like through your art because you're quitting to a certain system get out it's not worth your time oh my god paul you are making me emotional because kind of like you really yes so when you talk about you know having to capitulate to a system you know, when I first graduated and I signed with my manager my senior year and I was going on all these auditions, I always had, you know, this idea that, okay, I'm going to make it by auditioning and, you know, just basically by playing the game. And uh, for a long time, within those two years of auditioning, I just was frustrated all the time because I just was like, I don't understand. I'm doing it right. I'm playing the game. Like, why am I not... Like, why is this just not working for me? And then I finally hit a wall where I was just like, I don't want to do this. I don't, yep. like, I'm tired of playing the game. I just, I don't know who I am anymore as an artist, as a person. Like, I really just started to lose myself because I was trying so hard to acquit to, you know, the system that we were just talking about. Yep. And as an artist, it's so frustrating and it really... It really, um, what is it called? It degrades your self-worth. It degrades your yeah. value as an artist. And I made that decision where I was like, you know what? I don't want to be signed to my man manager anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this isn't how I want to do it because I'm just tired. I'm frustrated. And, you know, you are completely right where you shouldn't have to sacrifice, you know, who you are and what you think as an artist um, to yeah. quit to a system because what ends up happening is you're just, you're completely, um, what is it called? You are denying your identity as an artist and as a person. Oh yeah. That's, that's the other thing too, is that like when, when you finally, you know, it, it takes a long time for an artist to establish their, uh, their identity through their work. And it takes a lot of time and reflection and practice and, like I said, kind of earlier in the podcast is that for some people it takes years, decades, even Yeah, but like you will know when you found your voice and you will know when you've become kind of the person you want to be in terms of expression. So yeah. I think that's, and, and it's at that point where you kind of need to draw the line of like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to quit past this. Yeah. It's, yeah. I know like for, for myself, it kind of started like very shortly after I graduated college where I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a filmmaker or like, I'm going to be a producer. And like to some capacity, I still want to pursue these things. Of course. But, like 
I spent a lot of time working freelance, um, doing like some onset work. Uh, I did a little bit of like AV work and a little bit of like TV production stuff. Um, some yeah. creative, some like uh, corporate. And it kind of made me to realize, you know what? I, I love the process so much more than the, um, the final product. If that Absolutely. And while I've been working like really hard, like on my script and everything, it's kind of made me like more concerned about like, well, you know what? I think my place in the creative world is to be, you know, the team maker, the, the, the producer, the, the person who's coordinating everything and the person who, who brings the people together, yeah. but also is like sharing that vision with everybody. So as a group, we can produce it. And, you know, it takes a lot of time to, like, figure that out about yourself. And it takes a lot of failure, too. Oh, my God. Uh, a huge, yeah. a colossal amount of failure. Uh, oh, my God. A colossal <laughs> amount of failure. Because, I mean, it's within those moments of failure and just complete depression and sadness and heartbreak you really begin to realize who you are as an artist and yep. what you want to achieve and what you want to do. And uh, I mean, I think that's just really, really, really important. Yes, definitely. Like, don't, don't be afraid of failure because like it happens to everybody. It will, it will happen to you even when you are quote unquote successful, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, so with that being said, uh, um, I do kind of want to ask you as we're wrapping up here, what are your aspirations in terms of screenwriting and production? You know, what is it that you hope to accomplish? Aspirations. Um, in terms of like aspirations, I really want to start my own production company one day. And I want to be able to not just help myself, but help people around me to make things that they want to make and, you know, kind of just forever be a part of like the creation process. Cause kind of like I've been saying is just, that is what I fell in love with. And that is what I will always be in love with. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of at the forefront of my mind at any time when I'm like, okay, what's my next step. So with that being said, I would love to go back to school and kind of learn how to like properly manage a small company like that or properly, you know, uh, acquire people and individuals who would be able to like help me do what I want to do. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to lie, like, I really do like my my job currently. And I really do like what I'm doing. So I would love to kind of keep doing that to some capacity, which is, you know, like production coordinating. So I guess in terms of like aspirations, it's just to kind of like keep keep going at my pace and, you know, see what comes next. Like, I, I think having goals in mind is, is all well and good. But the truth of the matter is, is like, I'm kind of at a point where I'm, I'm very happy with the the track I'm on. I'm just I'm just really excited for the future. Yeah, no, that's, that's really beautiful, Paul. And, you know, oh, I also kind of want to start my own production company. Um, I want to make gay rom-com films ever since I saw Love, Simon and yes, Light and Call Me By Your Name. Like, they're all my favorite I can, films. I can, think of, I can think of no better person than yourself. Oh, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, my God. Well, that makes me really, really happy. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. We had a really good conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this. This was so much fun. 